It is wonderful to be with you all. Thank you, Steve, for that introduction. And by the way, um, Joanne doesn't just happen to work for Covenant Mercies. Joanne made Covenant Mercies a thousand times better. Um, so praise God for that. And uh, congratulations to Joanne and Steve. You all know the big news? Yeah. <laughs> Joanne just loves that I did that. Uh, if, if you would open in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at Covenant Fellowship. We love you. Uh, we pray for you. Um, we feel like our long Siamese twin has been separated from us. I, I had an experience recently. Um, many of you know this. If, if you're participating in Covenant Mercies as a financial a contributor, um, I, you recently received a letter from us thanking you for your contributions in 2017. I still sign those letters personally. One of the reasons I like to do that is just so I can thank God for each of those individuals as I sign those letters. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Well, I, I found myself thanking the Lord for so many of you and missing you at the same time. I really feel like our, our, uh, our long-lost twin uh, has separated for good reason, and we, we praise God uh, for the work that he's done both here and at Covenant Fellowship to make this, uh, this, this uh, separation in the best sense of the word possible. Uh, we thank God for you, we miss you, and it's so great to be with you today. Uh, a couple of comments on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, I am grateful to be here on this Sunday. I'm grateful that you are a church that gives attention to the plight of the unborn. And I listened to Alex's recent message, I think just a few weeks ago in December, um, where you focused in on the issue of abortion, even the video this morning as well. So we won't be focusing there as much. Uh, but the reality is uh, there's a caricature of pro-life Christians uh, that we care about babies before they're born. And then once the babies are born and the mother has needs, we're nowhere to be found. Uh, in fact, many advocates of abortion argue that poor women, and I, I put that in air quotes because I really don't like that term, but poor women need to have access to abortion because it would be cruel to make them give birth to a child that they can't afford to take care of. The child's just going to be disadvantaged anyway. Let's just deal with that problem now. Well, aside from the fact that we can never accept as a solution to poverty, the elimination of those who would be born into poverty, that's a frightening logic that I, I shudder to carry to its natural conclusion. Um, the fact is, I believe that caricature is inaccurate. Now, to whatever degree there's some accuracy to it, to it we need to own that and ask the Lord for help to, to dig deeper and, and be more sacrificial in the way we love our neighbors and care for those in crisis pregnancies. But we as believers are there to care for those children. Uh, the Lord gives us profound motivation for this in his word and profound motivation not to accept as a solution for poverty any form of oppression of the poor. Now, this frightening logic of eliminating poverty by eliminating those who would be born into poverty, I'm sorry to tell you, some of you may know this already, but this is a logic that is sadly uh, we in the Western world are, are working hard to export to the developing world where their cultural mores do not accept abortion and other forms of, of evil that our societies accept. 
And so this morning, I, I want to bring a message from God's Word that will uh, renew us, I pray, in our motivation to serve those children, serve those families uh, that need help after those children are born. Now, I'll need to move quickly uh, through our text. I want to leave time at the end to bring you an update on Covenant Mercies. Um, but I trust that this will be an edifying time together, reflecting on our joyful responsibility as God's people to recognize the dignity and worth of everyone made in His image and likeness, rich or poor, born or unborn, black or brown or white or any shade in between, a developed world or developing world. And we're going to reflect on our responsibility not only to stand for their right to live, but also be, to be instruments of God's mercy as He extends His love to them through us. So if you're with me in 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. I want to begin with a little bit of congregational participation this morning. Uh, pop singers for generations have been singing about one topic with greater regularity than any other, and that topic is love. love. You are right with me. Uh, but now, despite all of these songs about love, despite all this buzz about love, there seems to be no consensus on where it comes from, what it is, how we define it, what it looks like. Uh, four mop-top young boys from Liverpool told us that all we need is love, right? Some of you may know I'm a Bob Dylan fan. I'm a really big Bob Dylan fan. Ask me about it afterwards and I'll tell you why. Um, you're probably scratching your heads wondering. Um, Bobby's not known for writing a lot of love songs, um, but he did write one song called Love is Just a Four-Letter Word. Um, the Supremes told us we can't hurry, love. At least that's what Mama said. Um, <laughs> And then they wondered, where did our love go, right? So it, you can't hurry it, but sometimes it's in a hurry to go somewhere. Uh, now, fast-forwarding to my g -g -g generation, a few, I'm going to have to explain some of these pop culture references to Tim afterwards. Uh, <laughs> he he might have known it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> my generation, the 80s, I, I grew up in the 80s. Uh, some two or three hit wonder, had a hit song, what is love anyway? Remember that one? Uh, and meanwhile, T Tina Turner wanted to know what love had to do with it. And Whitney, well, she will always. She. Very good. You got, you, Risen Hope has talent. Uh, well, my finger is far from the pulse these days of pop music culture, so I don't know what they're singing about today, but I'll tell you, I'm sure they're singing about this topic today. And I wish all of these pop stars could be here in the room with us now because 
In these three verses, the Apostle John is calling the class to order on this topic of love. And he's saying, no, love is not just a four-letter word. Let me tell you what love is. And these three verses are packed with meaning on the topic of love. I want to just briefly call attention to some of that meaning this afternoon. Um, now, John, John discusses this, uh, or John's discussion of this topic of love can be broken down into three points. That's what I want to do as I approach it as well. The three points will be love's definition, love's demand, and love's test. First of all, love's definition. Love's definition. Verse 16. By this, we know love. By this, we know love. I like the way the NIV puts it. This is how we know what love is. Well, how's that, John? That he laid down his life for us. Now, normally, if you want to look for the meaning of a word, you look it up in the dictionary, right? Well, not in this case, John says. Don't go looking in the dictionary. You want to know what love is? Look at Jesus. And this is important for us to remember because as we've just reflected upon, pop culture is vying for our attention on the topic of love. Uh, not only the music industry, the movies and entertainment industry is driven by a cultural portrayal of love. There may be a grain of truth sometimes in that cultural portrayal, uh, but John's saying, no, you, you don't look there. You want to know what the definition of love is? Look to Jesus. Jesus is the definition of genuine love. By this, we know love. And what is it about Jesus that John highlights? What is it about Jesus' love that he points out to us? That he laid down his life for us. Jesus' love for us is demonstrated through his sacrifice. Love is defined for us here as denial of self, for another's gain. And Scripture is consistent on this theme. One of the things I love about Scripture is that you can go to different sections, different, uh, different authors, and you find these consistent themes. This is a consistent theme of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. He denied his inherent riches, laid them aside so that we might benefit. Jesus' love is made even more amazing by the fact that, that he did this and he wasn't our peer. You know, I think about this, this self-sacrificing love and you, you think, well, we can think of examples of that in our, own, in our own world, in our own lifetimes. I think of those first responders who rushed into the World Trade Center buildings. I can still remember the feeling uh, with tears streaming down my face as those buildings collapsed floor by floor because I realized not only are there innocent victims inside, there are heroes in there who rushed into that building to save others. They laid down their lives to save strangers. That is a beautiful example of love. And yet, not to diminish that in any way, but they did that for their peers. They did that for those they were equal with. Jesus, though He was God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled Himself, took the very nature of a servant, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
He wasn't our equal. He was equal with God. But he, he came to serve us and sacrifice for us. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Love is defined by Jesus' sacrifice for our gain. Number two, love's demand. Love's demand. Now, love isn't simply something we receive. It also requires something of us. It demands something of us. John continues in verse 16. That He laid down His life for us, and we must also, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Immediately following immediately flowing from this love that we have received. Uh, It's amazing. Not even even a new sentence. John's not only waiting for, he's not going to wait for another book or a chapter or paragraph. He's not even finishing his sentence. And he's already continuing on to the demand that love places on us. And And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Just as Jesus laid down his life for us, we should also do the same for the brethren. Now, I think most of you know this is not natural. Uh, There's a sense in which it's natural. We know that it's right. God God has written His law onto our heart, and so we know what we ought to do. But because of our sinful nature, uh, it is not natural to lay down your life for even your friend. Self-preservation is what's natural. Uh, Self-interest is what's natural because of our sinful nature. Sacrifice, denial of ourselves for the benefit of others is not natural. And the reason I'm pointing that out is is that this only happens by grace. This this is something that that can only happen by grace. Now, it can happen by God's common grace that He bestows upon all of us because people are made in His image and likeness, and so we do understand what the right thing to do is. And it is an amazing expression of God's common grace, for example, that those first responders would rush into that World Trade Center building. But even more amazingly, we can do this by God's special grace bestowed upon His people, upon disciples of Jesus, who by the power of His Spirit grow more and more into His likeness. Choosing to sacrifice what we might have within our own grasp. Uh, Just like Jesus had equality with God within His own grasp, and yet He let it go for the benefit of others. This is the definition of love, and this is the demand that's upon our lives as well. This is what Jesus did for us when he didn't consider equality with God, which was his right, a thing to be grasped. But he humbled himself and became a servant, gave himself as a sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, this is the definition of love, and it carries with us, with it, a demand. Now, because of what was done for us in verse 16a, we must fulfill the, the demand of 16b. But also, this is the good news, because of what was done for us in 16a, we can fulfill the demand of 16b. Because of the grace that the Lord has shown to us, we can now love others with that same kind of love. I love the way David Jackman put it uh, in his commentary on this passage. He said, 
Just as it's not simply God's habit to love, but the very essence of His being, so a person cannot come into a real relationship with a loving God without being transformed into a loving person. Now this should give us great faith because the reason that love can make this demand of us is because we've been transformed by Christ Himself into a loving person. John isn't trying to twist the arms of unwilling people here, and neither am I in, in preaching in John's wake, neither am I trying to twist the, the arms of unwilling people. I'm simply trying to stir our faith toward the love that God has called us to and empowered us to by His grace. Now, if you're like me, you look at this text and, and you're immediately uh, thinking about well, the fact that John said the brothers, the brothers. So John is talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ here, right? Well, yes, absolutely right. And, and you may raise the question, well, are we to have the same love for others outside the household of faith? Um, the shorter answer is yes, and we can't get into a lot of the, uh, the detail, but the consistent teaching of Scripture is that people, uh, the, the people of God are to show this same kind of love, first to the household of faith, and then also to those outside. Uh, we are called, to, I, love, I love your, uh, mi your mission statement, um, which includes neighbor love. That's, that's at the center of Christian discipleship. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. When Jesus defined what that love looked like and what the extent of the neighborhood is, if you will, it was in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's asked, who is my neighbor? And he chooses as the hero of his story uh, a Samaritan who would have been considered by a Jewish audience, would have been considered a religious and ethnic half-breed. He makes him the, 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 uh, the hero of the story and essentially says this call to love neighbor is as broad and as wide as you can possibly imagine. The neighborhood uh, can't even be contained. And so this uh, love doesn't simply have a benefit for us, Jesus' sacrifice for our gain. It also demands something of us that we must also sacrifice for others. And then point number three is love's test. Love's test. I was really trying on the D alliteration. I'm not as talented with words as, as your senior pastor is, but uh, <laughs> Tim would have thought of a D. He'll tell me later. Um, I, I thought about demonstration, for, but I, I, I didn't like it. It may help you to understand why I stuck with test. Um, because John is giving us an opportunity to test and see whether... Uh, the love of God is in us, and it is demonstration that will help us to pass that test. But the test is the reality. So here, here's the reality. Most of us will not be called to die for our brothers. Could happen, but it's not likely to happen. And John realizes this, and so he gives us another way to test and see whether the love of God is in us. Verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can the love of God be in him? In other words, if God has blessed me materially, and he has, and I hope, uh, we don't have time to go into this either, but I hope we all realize that the Lord has blessed us 
materially uh, in the United States, whether we're rich or poor or somewhere in between, uh, the Lord has blessed us materially. So if God has blessed me materially and I'm unwilling to, to sacrifice, to share with others in need, can I really say that I would lay down my life for them? Does that make sense? If not the lesser, if I wouldn't do the lesser, how could I possibly claim that I would do the greater? And so he speaks to them in fatherly terms. Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, the reality or unreality of our love for others is borne out in our actions toward them. See, love, this is where... This is where we have a corrective for some of those uh, romantic love, cultural uh, portrayals of love in, in the movies and in songs. Love is not a sentiment or something we simply say we have for someone. It's something that is demonstrated in our lives. Uh, several years ago, I did a, a word study on the biblical verb that is translated in the New Testament for compassion. It appears only 12 times in the New Testament, and all 12 of those times, it's in reference to Jesus. It's, it's amazing. And you look at each time that Jesus is said to have compassion on someone or to be moved by compassion for them, that statement is always coupled with some kind of merciful action on the part of our Lord. And it was just striking to see that come out in every single occurrence of that word in the New Testament. Well, John tells us something similar here about love. He says, love requires action if it would meet the test of genuine love. Again, the consistency of Scripture. James speaks in very similar terms in James 2, verses 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Glenn Barker, in his commentary on 1 John, says, this puts it this way, if we are in a position to see with our eyes his need, as for example the Good Samaritan did, and can offer help, then we cannot do otherwise than act. So we can know whether the love of God is in us by evaluating ourselves on this test, by evaluating how we respond when we see others in need. And in today's world, we are in a better position than ever to see the need of our brothers and sisters in the developing world uh, than any other time in history. The question is, what I need to remind myself of is when I see others in need, I need to think this is a test. Will I love them in word and talk, which John defines as false love, or will I love them with the love of Jesus in deed and in truth? Well, back in the 1990s, uh, as we were hearing reports coming out of Africa about the HIV AIDS crisis and just the devastation that that was leaving, the, the orphan crisis that that was leaving in its wake, uh, the Lord was simultaneously leading us into relationship with pastors and churches in sovereign grace in those parts of the world. And at Covenant Fellowship, the Lord was also working in our hearts around that time 
to establish Covenant Mercies as a separate nonprofit under the auspices of the church so that we could explore ways of partnering together with these brothers and sisters in the developing world to care for orphans living in their communities. And so it was 15 years ago last month, uh, in December 2002, that I took my very first trip to Africa. Uh, it was in Uganda, and we started our orphan sponsorship program about six months after that with approximately 200 uh, children in rural eastern Uganda, a bold mission, and a vision to see God's mercy touch the lives of the fatherless there through partnerships that we would build with God's people on the ground there. Well, today, I'm happy to tell you that over 1,300 children in Uganda, Zambia, and Ethiopia are receiving education, health care, mentorship, and practical support through Covenant Mercies. Uh, some of those children have received have received care through our program for the entire 15 years. Um, some uh, have graduated uh, from the program during that time. Uh, each child is given the tools that they need to break out of poverty. Each child is told the good news of Christ's sacrifice on their behalf, of God's good gift of salvation for those who believe, and the simple yet profound truth that they are made in His image and His likeness and he has a plan for their lives. So whether you've just heard about Covenant Mercies for the first time now, or whether you've been with us, some of you have been with us for this entire 15 years, thank you for working together with us to restore children to everything God has created them to be. It is an absolute joy to do this work together, and I'm going to give you a little update on the ministry now. Uh, now since the beginning, uh, one of our core values in Covenant Mercies has been to build partnerships with God's people on the ground in the communities where we serve. We believe a collaborative work with God's people on the ground there is the best way to care for our children. We also think it's the most God-glorifying way as we partner together with our brothers and sisters from, from other parts of the world. And uh, if you were to ask me, uh, okay, Covenant Mercies just celebrated its 15th anniversary. What are you most excited about? I mean, there'd be a number of things I would have to choose from, but I think the, the, probably the top thing that excites me right now is the quality people that God has given us to work with from each of these countries. We have godly and competent leaders on the ground in these, in these areas. And over the, the course of 15 years, we've been able to both identify those partners and, and build our partnership together and also expand the work that we're doing together. I tell these, these dear folks regularly that how much I thank God for them because literally we could not accomplish the mission that we feel so deeply called to accomplish without them. That's how much of a core value this is for us in Covenant Mercies. And I want to uh, show you a video now um, that actually asks a, a question of a few of our uh, key leaders in each of the countries. So if you can go ahead and show that video. Wonderful, isn't it? God is good to us. Uh, I leaned over to Tim uh, while Will Broad was talking and asked him to remind me, has Will Broad preached here? So I don't know how many of you recognize Will, and apparently he's coming back in October as well. So thank God for the uh, expanding partnership we have with him. This man is gifted, by the way, to train pastors. Uh, he has a theological mind. Um, that uh, grasps the, the wonderful things of God, and, and he has a passion to impart that to other pastors in his region. So pray for him. 
Well, with a mature ministry and established programs now in four geographical areas in Africa, uh, we have recognized a need to invest in infrastructure projects that will multiply the effectiveness of our sponsorship program. And so with the balance of our time, I just want to go through and give you some updates on a few of those projects. Uh, the first is in the category of sustainability. Um, as many of you know, children in our sponsorship program live within the context of their extended families. So these team leaders that you see here oversee a team of caseworkers that go out into the community and care for the children in the context of their families. Sometimes the children have been taken in by, uh, sometimes mom is still alive, other times uh, they've been taken in by an aunt or an uncle or an elderly grandparent. Uh, and for most of these families, uh, though they're able to provide the, the family love and family connection that's so vital for the children, um, materially they're not able to provide much. And, and most of these families are just living at a subsistence level, um, surviving off the land essentially, especially in the rural areas where we work. And so this is one of the reasons why our help through sponsorship is so critical. Um, in this extended family context, just imagine each child represents another mouth to feed on no additional income, on, on really essentially no income in the first place in many families. Um, each child represents additional school fees to be paid on no income. And so the families are really scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to do the best they can to care for the children. Our church partners are able to come in in the name of Christ and bring them this practical care in Jesus' name. Well, as we've inter intervened through the years to help in strategic ways, uh, we've recognized that the very last thing we would want to do, the very last thing we'd want to teach our kids in the program is that everything will just be handed to them in life by a stranger thousands of miles away or even by these friends in their local community. Rather, we want them to understand that God has created them with gifts and abilities that they have a responsibility to cultivate and that in the future they will be able to use those gifts and abilities to, to provide for themselves and their families through the work of their own hands. And so we aim to teach this lesson not only through our words, but also through the way we operate our program. Um, a few years ago, uh, some of you will be aware, we launched a sustainable farming project at our 40-acre farm in, in the far eastern part of Uganda. Well, this year on that property, we harvested 3,700 pounds of ground nuts, 3,500 pounds of rice. Uh, the corn you're looking at here, I think you're going to see a picture of some beautiful-looking corn. That's been harvested and will be sold soon as well, with all of these revenues just being reinvested into the farm for now. Lord willing, in time, that those will be revenues raised up on the ground right there and invested into the program, rather than all the funds coming from uh, the Western world. Um, last year, we announced our plans for a poultry project, and uh, the good news is we renovated the chicken house, we, we got everything up and running, we brought, our, brought in our first group of chicks, around 200 chickens have now laid more than 19,000 eggs that we have sold uh, as well. And in a couple of years, after a couple of years of, of ramping up this project, uh, Lord willing, we'll be bringing in around $5,000 annually through that uh, program. This is being run, by the way, by a sponsorship program graduate who's our farm manager out there as well, which is a special blessing. Uh, last year, we, we announced the planting of 5,100 eucalyptus trees, which grow very fast. And in, in the period of a few years, this grove will produce a projected revenue, Lord willing, of $12,000. Uh, we aim to use those funds to replace the motorbikes for our program. So our program staff 
are mobilized into the community to visit the children at home or in school on motorbikes, and we're looking for ways to, uh, to raise the funds for those through the, the work of our team's hands right there on the ground as well. Well, these sustainability goals have always been about more than just local revenue generation and, and, local, and the development of local food sources, as, as vital as both of those things are. Um, in addition to that, uh, in all of our programs, we desire to inspire the guardians of our children, those, those mothers and grandparents and aunts and uncles, uh, in their own income-generating efforts. And, and we desire for our children to see this as well and to live out the biblical truth that God has made them to be productive, responsible, positive stewards of their gifts and resources. Uh, now, we're already seeing the impact that this can have on families. I want to tell you quickly uh, the story of a young man named Dennis, a, a sponsored child in our program in western Uganda, and his mother, Juliet. Uh, recently, Dennis and his family received a, a rather large amount of money. I mean, it's not a huge amount of money, but it's more than they're used to, to having to handle right now. Well, by talking with our staff on the ground there about how to utilize these funds, they were able to come up with some ideas for income-generating ideas of their own. Um, and uh, in time, they were able to uh, purchase some goats and purchase some land that they will use to, uh, for their own sustainable farming project. Um, now, at the time that all this was going on, um, the family didn't know Christ, and Dennis's mother, Juliet, was actually running a bar of Ill, rep Ill repute in the town where they lived. Um, well, during a home visit by our pastor and our program coordinator there named Moses Nkwatsibwe, um, Moses visits all the families. I'm looking at Maggie, she knows Moses. Um, visits all the families, shares the gospel with them, prays with them. These are the, the kind of leaders we have on the ground there. Well, during one of these home visits to Juliet, he shared the gospel with this family and praised the Lord. Juliet and her whole household came to faith. Um, they were later baptized. They became church members. And in faith, Juliet closed this bar that she had been running in the town. She renovated that space and turned it into a grocery store where she now can sell produce from the farm. I think we've got a photo of, of, uh, of their little shop beginning in action. Amen. These values of sustainability, like hard work and productivity, are powerful weapons against multi-generational cycles of poverty. But to truly be transformative, we, we believe that they need to be coupled with uh, quality education as well. And so this is why education has always been at the heart of our efforts. Now, UNICEF reports that of children in sub-Saharan Africa who are three to five years past primary school age, only 58% have graduated. What this means is that other 42% is very unlikely to ever graduate even from primary school. In fact, there are 33 million primary school-aged children in sub-Saharan Africa right now who are not even in school. Uh, well, now fast forward to those, those same children, uh, and in the same UNICEF study, uh, they revealed that of kids three to five years past the high school graduation age, uh, less than one quarter, less than 25%, have graduated. 
Now, folks, that is the broader population of children in sub-Saharan Africa. That includes many families of, you know, strong, stable, two-parent families as well. It doesn't even factor in the reality that it's much more difficult for a child in, in our program with those circumstances I described earlier, the family scraping the bottom of the barrel, yet still taking them in. Um, much more difficult for them to finish school. And so through our sponsorship program, uh, fatherless children are not only given the resources to attend school, but we're seeing them envisioned and equipped not only to complete primary school and secondary school, but many times now to even go on to higher education. We're trusting that these young people will grow up to be influencers in their families, in their workplaces, in their churches, and in their communities. Uh, well, last year, through the generosity of our donors, we were actually able to set up a special fund for higher education we call the Mapalo Scholarship Fund. Mapalo is a word that means blessing, and it was also the name of uh, my dear friend and, and our dear friend in Covenant Mercies, David Sachs. We gave him this African name, Mapalo. This fund honors David's legacy, and it invests in the further education of our sponsorship program graduates, so those who are eligible to continue on to higher education can go. Well, I'm thrilled to introduce you to the first class of our Mapalo students real quickly. Um, from left to right, we have William and Farai and Samuel and Charles, and then on the bottom row, Mercy, Premise, Alex, and Bridget. Um, these are our first class of Mapalo scholarship students who are going on studying things like education and law and accounting, art and industrial design, social work. Uh, we're looking forward to celebrating more scholarship recipients each year, and we're grateful for the help of our donors in, in setting up this scholarship fund. Um, we're also grateful that our, our donors are envisioned to help us with uh, establishing schools as well, so that our children at a younger age can grow up and be eligible for those sponsorship, uh, those, those scholarships someday. Uh, many of you know, again, uh, since you know Wilbrod Chanda, you probably remember Wilbrod and his wife Zicky are the founders of Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia. Well, Lighthouse uh, currently serves over 280 children in grades pre-K through grade seven. And we just celebrated our fourth graduating class of Lighthouse. 100% of them passed the national exam uh, that, uh, so that they could move on to secondary school. We've now had of those four graduating classes, 99% of all of those students in the four years have passed that exam and been able to move on uh, for secondary school. These schools also provide us with a, a wonderful Monday through Friday Christ-centered context where we can multiply our gospel influence in the children's lives. Well, today I am, I am excited to inform you about our intention to build a primary school in western Uganda as well, in Kibororo, Uganda, where we have bought about four and a half acres of land, and Lord willing, we will break ground on this project this year. I am moving quickly through this, so you will hear more about that later. If you're tuned in to Covenant Mercies, you're going to hear about this uh, as we look to raise funds for this project. It's going to cost about $125,000 uh, for phase one to just get a few buildings up and get the first few classes going. Uh, we will then add one new grade each year, just as we've done through the years at Lighthouse Christian School so that eventually we'll be serving about 300 students every year in grades pre-K through seven at that school. 
Now, investing in primary school education and establishing these building blocks of learning at a young age is so critical. And uh, when all the phases of this project are complete, we're going to have uh, a number of children just really preparing themselves to eventually be those students who are applying for Mapalo scholarships and going on for higher education. One of our Mapalo uh, recipients wanted to express his gratitude and share the impact of, of your giving, your support in his life, especially uh, the person who sponsored him through the years. His name's William Wembo, and I think you're gonna, he's in the far left upper corner of this slide. This is what Will brought, uh, this is what William has to say. He says, I would like to thank Lighthouse Christian School for considering me and touching my life. I truly appreciate your continuous support and every generous donation. Your contribution will dramatically help me to develop and succeed in future endeavors. Without your involvement and generosity, I would not be able to aim high and reach my potential. Through your hands, I, grow up, I, I grew up to become an adult with a mission to change my family, my community, and the world at large. I love it. He's a man with, uh, with big dreams. Now, of these eight Mapalo recipients, um, it's sobering to note that seven of them have lost parents due to HIV-AIDS. Um, healthcare for our children is absolutely vital, and that's why through the support of our donors, including many of you, we've been able to open up a medical clinic in western Uganda for the program there. Uh, this saves us from having to take the children 10, 15, even 20 miles away to the nearest clinic. Well, this new clinic has already recorded over 1,800 patient visits, uh, providing inpatient and outpatient care, disease prevention education, wellness checkups, which is a luxury we've never had before, uh, pharmacy services, nutritional assessments, and so many other things. Um, one, of the lady, one of the young ladies in our, our Mapalo program uh, is named Bridget. You may remember Bridget from last year, if you remember my update. She's, uh, she's an education major. And uh, Bridget's mother is HIV positive, and she is one of those, those people who's able to receive care now right there in her own home community through this clinic that we've opened. Well, in, in our 15th anniversary year, uh, I thought often last year about this beautiful photo by David Sachs called Genesis. I think we have it to go up on the screen, Genesis. Do not despise small beginnings. That's a very meaningful statement, not only for the lives of each and every child in our program, but also for us as a ministry. We began small, just 200 children and a dream of reaching many more. But with your help, we are multiplying that effort that started 15 years ago. Uh, and as I wrap up, I want to just bring some concluding words from William Wembo, that same Mapalo graduate, uh, the same Mapalo scholarship uh, recipient um, that I was reading before, uh, he concludes in this way. These words reminded me so much of Matthew 25 as I read them. I just have to share with them. William said, I really thank God. I cried in my neighborhood, but no one listened to me. I called to my neighbors because of my hunger, but there was no one coming to me. I was sick in my bed, but no one could render a service. 
but so far from God's hands, a sponsor, a parent, came to me from a faraway country that's beyond the sea where my eyes could not imagine a thought. What a blessing and love God has shown me. Amen. I couldn't have said it better myself. And William's words perfectly capture uh, the impact that you are having by sponsoring children. Um, Covenant Mercies is privileged to, see, uh, to, to, to serve these children uh, for the glory of the Lord's name. And it's just beautiful to hear his lips filled with praise and thanksgivings to God as a result of what his sponsor and what his friends on the ground have done in his life. Thank you, Risen Hope, for the integral role that you have always played, that you continue to play in this mission. And please, if you would like to learn more about it, Joanne, uh, I'll, I'll get back there as well. Joanne and I will both be back at the sponsorship table. We have profiles of children available for sponsorship if you'd like to consider that. We'll talk to you about any of these other things as well. But above all, may God help us to be a people who love, not just in words, not just with talk, but in deed and in truth. Amen.